really excited to be continuing our series in Peter this evening. Got to love the character of Peter in the Bible. Looking at the subject of failure tonight. Nice light one for you. It's August. I've got a lot to talk about. Sharing my own life. It was funny, we were going through who was going to do what talk, and the preaching team turned around, and they decided that it would be most apt if I was to speak about failure. (laughs) Thanks, guys and girls. So I've called today Overcoming Failure. Rather than just leaving us deeply depressed in the dark hole of failure, it could just be the title Failure, but I've decided that it's, it's redemptive, there's something that moves towards the Lord. And before I continue, let's just level with one another. Let's, let's start in the place we have all failed. We've all failed. We will continue to fail. We will get it wrong. We will make mistakes. It is a, leving, a level playing field in here this evening. We're all going to experience failure. It's one of the guarantees of life. What do I, what do I mean by failure? Well, the dictionary puts it quite succinctly. It just says, a lack of success. Like, okay, could go with that. What does that look like? Well, it's where something doesn't work out, as we'd hoped, expected, planned, as others are hoped, where we get hurt, where other people get hurt, where we feel like we failed our God, our family, our friends, ourselves. That's what it feels like. I love this quote by Winston Churchill, who says this, success is not final and failure is not fatal. It's great, isn't it? It's quite profound, that Winston. should lead a country. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that that counts. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Some failures can seem very small, but they can have this massive disproportional effect on us. We just don't seem to be able to get over them. There could be this really little thing that just kind of bumbles along in the background, but it's really difficult to move on. Some are much more obvious for the world to see, and everybody looks in. It's like, yeah, you messed up. My angle for today, because this is a huge subject, is overcoming failure. What do you do when you fail? Two of Jesus' disciples and friends experienced monumental failure. Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied him. And sometimes I think about it. Whenever we think about examples of failure, we think about these people in the scriptures, don't we? We think of Judas and we think of Peter, that their story would be there, that we're reading about it 2,000 years later. And sometimes I'm really thankful that the canon of scripture is closed because otherwise some of our stories might have made it. Can you imagine you're just reading it and you're like, hello, a chapter about James. Um, So I wanted to start by just looking at what Peter did wrong that led him into failure. How did he get there? And a couple of key lessons that often lead to failure in our own lives and situations, whether that's financially failing, relationally, work, family, fill in the blank, Um, So we're going to pick up the story. If you grab your Bibles, we're going to be in two passages. We're going to be in Matthew 26, and we're going to be in John 21. So you can kind of keep a finger in either of those two. I'm really grateful to Rick Warren for some of his thinking on this. 
He's a very profound guy. And so I've um, used his, three of his titles for it. And so the first one is this, is that we overestimate our strengths. This is a massive cause of failure in our lives. When you think that you are stronger than you really are, when you think that you can handle more, when you can handle more temptation than you actually can. The background to the passage in Matthew 26 is that Jesus has just had his last supper with his disciples, and he tells them that he's going to die, and he's going to be raised again, and that he's going to meet them back in Galilee. And so here, here we are, Matthew 26, 31, it says this. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. And notice that Jesus says, they will all fall fall away, not just Peter. I think we often just think, oh, it's just Peter. No, all of you will fall away. And three times Peter says, do you know what, Lord, I'm I'm never going to fall away. 33, Peter replied, even if I fall away on account of you, I never will. I'm different. I'm special. 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will all disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Lots of businesses fail because they overestimate overestimate their strength. Lots of battles are lost because an army overestimates their strength. Think of David and Goliath for a moment. It's like, he was a bit, little bit arrogant. Lots of students fail because they overestimate their strength. Lots of affairs happen because people get into a situation where they think that they're stronger than they are. And then they realize, oh my goodness, I wasn't strong enough to be in that situation. I should never have put myself there. We need to be aware of thinking that this could never happen to me. That, oh, this is about someone else. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says this, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's a word of warning. The Bible's really saying, don't be naive. Don't be stupid. None of us are exempt. Given the right set of circumstances, I am capable of any sin. Given the right set of circumstances, I am capable of any sin, and so are you. The book of Proverbs, just amazing wisdom, says the heart is deceitful above all things. To Peter has this amazing intimate moment with the Lord at the Last Supper. It's a beautiful moment. And then he goes from this amazing moment with the Lord into this incredible crash. Never presume you know where temptation is going to come from. So that's the first one, is that we overestimate our strengths. The second one is this, the fear of the disapproval of others. I think that this can cause more problems in our life than almost anything else. Every time we make a decision based on what other people think, we are sowing the seeds of failure in our lives. When you worry and fear disapproval, you go along with things even when you know that it's the wrong thing to do. You're like, your conscience is there going, I'm not sure about this. And you find yourself going along with it. It's so easy to become a people pleaser and end up making a whole load of commitments that you cannot possibly keep simply because you're trying to make everybody happy. If you move on in the passage through to verse 58 and then 69 and 70, it says this, verse 58, but Peter 
followed him, followed Jesus at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. It's a major problem following Jesus at a distance. Like Jesus is up there and we're all the way back here. Peter has spent three and a half years living with Jesus, following him, being his disciple, sitting his feet, listening to his teaching. In the moment when, kind of the moment of testing, he has a complete failure of nerve. Just this moment. Why? Because he's more worried about what other people think than with identifying with Jesus. How many times have we bottled it because we're more worried about what somebody else thinks than what Jesus thinks? In so many areas, this is a cause of failure when we worry more about what that person's going to say than what our God thinks. In many cases, you might not even know the person. Isn't that crazy? We care more about the opinion of a stranger than our God in certain circumstances. When you just stop and put it like that, it's like, wow. Peter, actually, if you look through the scriptures, he really struggled with people-pleasing. There's a a place in the scriptures where Paul actually turns around to Peter and he rebukes him. Because he says, do you know what, with one group of people you're like this, and with another group of people you're like that, there's no consistency between these two things. Stop trying to please everybody. So let's kind of delve in and make this a little bit more personal. It's very easy just to concentrate on Peter. What about you? What about me? Whose opinion matters to you more than God's? Just think about that for a moment. Whose opinion matters to you more than God's? You're more worried about what they think or doing what they say than following the Lord. If anybody becomes more important than God, then what happens is they become an idol and it's a setup for failure. Here's another question. While we're going in, you know, some nice light summer questions for you. This one's quite profound when you really think about it. Have you ever asked yourself and God why the opinion of that person matters so much to you? Why do I care so much about what they think? Why do I hate being criticized? What is it? Have you ever asked yourself why other people's opinions matter so much that you'll even do the wrong thing to please somebody that you don't even like? It's really easy to kind of bumble through life and never really examine our hearts and what's actually under the surface. This is the activity of becoming healthy, is taking these questions to Jesus. Jesus, why in that interaction am I struggling? I know what the right thing to do is, but why am I struggling? What is it, that, what is it that's going on? When we begin to bring those questions before the Holy Spirit, it's a dangerous thing to do because the Lord begins to speak to us. And he starts to reveal what's going on in our hearts and our souls. The part of me that causes the most trouble is the part that I don't understand. If I don't know why I do what I do, then I'm never going to change to look more like him. Maybe you've never asked the question, why is it that I'm so controlled by what others think? As I was preparing this talk, I was just talking through my outline with my wonderful wife this morning. And it was a talk on failure. And so she was like, so, all sounds great, James. What what stories are you going to share about your own life? I was like, I'm really going to hone in on Peter. 
And she, <laughs> and she said, oh, there's hundreds of stories I can think about your life. Uh, I was like, oh, do you know, I'm just probably too proud to share them all. But um, she, so she's like, how about this one? This is a great story about, so, do you know, I, I out of, you, you know, when I, the fear of the disapproval of others would be something that I would find quite hard and would be an area where I could get myself in trouble. And so if I go back to when I was a student, um, I loved being a student, actually, but um, first couple of years of being a student, I would have been quite heavily involved with sport and football, and the guys that I ended up living with didn't, didn't have faith. And so, do you know what? Oh, yes. Um, so hanging out with them quite a lot, and it reached the point where drinking became quite a problem. And it was something that I found really difficult because I'd go out with the guys in the sports team Wednesday night, and so suddenly it would be like, oh, here's a drink. And, you know, after a while, suddenly you can find yourself drinking too much. And, you know, as, as I really look back on it, I was like, oh, do you know what? What is it that was going on in my heart? Ultimately, I didn't want to be that really boring person. I was scared. My kryptonite is somebody t- saying to me, you're really boring. It's like, oh, you cut to the core of me. Um, and so what was going on was that there was actually, there was this fear going on within my heart. And it reached the point, I'd been doing this for a while, and I remember having a conversation with Jen. I'd started dating Jen, my now wife. And I'd been a Christian most my whole life. And she'd come to faith while we were at university. And there was this one moment where she was invited to go away on a potential leaders training with the church. And so she'd gone away, and I'd, I'd been out that week, and I'd come back. And, and I th- we, we just had this conversation, and she, she looked at me, and she just said, James, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? And there was just this moment of kind of shame, and it kind of all came up. And I remember, I can remember where I was sitting on that store. So I was like, I am going to cut alcohol out. You know, so for a month, I cut alcohol out because I just needed to reset my life. What is it that's going on? Sometimes when you drink too much, what happens is you say things that aren't integrous. You end up saying things that aren't necessarily true. You know, sometimes physically, you can get yourself into different situations that become difficult. All of those kind of things. And so I just reached a point where I was like, do you know what? I, I just need a restart in my life. So I did that for a month. And then I remember where I was. I went into Barisa and I'd finished the month. And the guys that I was living with at the time had kind of accepted that. But I think they're underlyingly they're a bit annoyed about it. And so I, I remember sitting down in the pub and the guy was like, here, here you go, James. Here's a drink. You can start drinking again. I was like, no, the whole point was I was trying to change this area of my life. And so I remember where I was, and we had this confrontation where he was like, drink the drink. I was like, I don't want to drink the drink. I'm trying to change. And so it reached the point where I actually ended up just walking out because I was like, with this guy, I was like, I, this is not what I'm about. This is not who I want to be. And so I walked out, and a couple of hours later, he came over and he was like, Do you know what, I'm actually really sorry. But that moment was a defining moment in my life in the area of drinking. Because in that moment, it, re- it wasn't really about the drinking. It wasn't about the alcohol. For me, it was about the fear of the disapproval of others that had been leading me into, an, into a behavior that actually wasn't honoring to the Lord and didn't honor his kingdom. 
And so just as I think about that, that was all about, at the heart of it, the fear of the disapproval of others was why I ended up doing some things around my integrity. And so changing, that, that's how powerful it is that we can find ourselves in behaviors that we're like, how do we get here? Oh, because I've just slowly compromised on some things. Behind the fear of disapproval is almost always a wound. There's something that triggers in your mind. Maybe it's, it was an unmeet unmet need you had growing up, or maybe it was hurt or some trauma, but all of us are going to have pain in our journey, soul pain. And in soul pain, you don't even know why you do what you do. Soul pain is almost always related to identity. And until you sort this out, what happens is you will be manipulated and controlled by the disapproval of others. Can you see how it happens? So it's a, such a subtle thing. So Overestimate your strength, fear the disapproval of others, and then thirdly, speak without thinking. What happens is we speak impulsively, irrationally, and in haste. We don't pause to consider the damage of what we might be saying. And the real reason is that we just don't think rationally, we respond emotionally. Have you ever had that where somebody said something, just this emotion comes to the surface, and in that moment you just start spewing out language. And you're like, what is it that I'm even saying? We're not stopping to think what the unintended consequences of what we're saying is. This is a really defining question that would be worthwhile asking. And it will probably stop 70% of the things that you talk about. Lord, do you want me to say this? It's quite a good filter, isn't it? Lord, do you want me to say this? It's like, whoa. <laughs> or do you just say what you feel? Because the interesting thing right now in our culture, there would be very much, it would be just say what you feel. You know, if, if that's what you feel, just say it. People would say, do you know what? That's really courageous. But a lot of the time, I actually just think it's a sign of immaturity. Just something... Children do that. Adults need to discern why they're speaking. Why is that? Because when you feel jealous, what is it that comes out? Jealousy. When you feel ang angry, what is it that comes out? Anger. When you feel insecure, what is it that comes out? Insecurity. The reason that we have so many failures in our lives is because we speak without thinking. Our emotions lead. Peter right now is nervous and he's fearful. Why? His Lord has been taken away. He's in this courtyard. Peter's been following at a distance. Jesus has been arrested and Peter's just sitting there going, what's going on? I've got no idea what's happening to Jesus right now. In the middle of this moment, a stranger comes up to him. This is a servant girl. This is verse 69. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. It's like, what, me? It continues. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. His anger begins to come out in 71. Again, he denies it. I don't know the man. 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Have you ever been called one of them? Oh, you're one of those Christians. So demeaning, isn't it? In that moment, you're like, oh, you're one of them. Why? 
We see here his fear of disapproval. And then he loses his temper and he starts swearing. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. He's gone bang, 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 and the rooster crows. In that moment, then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will discern me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what his tears would have been like? Can you imagine just that feeling of, I have let my Lord, I've let Jesus down. I've I've utterly betrayed him. Here, we see that Peter loses control of his emotions, his language, his integrity, and his honor. All of those things go out the window in this exchange, in this moment. Just beforehand, you'd have been looking and it's like, Peter's like, I'm never going to disown you. How did he get from, I'm never going to disown you, all the way over here? He was devastated. How could I let this happen? Now, the overriding emotion that Peter would have been feeling is this, shame. Shame. Shame is the dominant emotion that we feel when we fail. We feel like we want the world to swallow us up, to wake us up from this terrible dream. Have you ever had that where you've had a really awful thing that's happened the day before, and then you wake up the next morning and you go, did that really happen? Was, is that true? I really hope that's not true. And then you're like, oh no, it's true. But the amazing thing is that Peter doesn't get left there. I was saying you have to go down, 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 down in this talk to be able to go up, 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 up and to come out. Within 50 days, Peter Peter is preaching the sermon that would birth the early church. So he goes from this moment of devastation. 50 days later, he becomes the spokesman for the church. He's preaching at Pentecost. What is it that happens What is it that happens in order to enable this transformation to occur? How did Peter pick himself up and go again? How do we pick ourselves up and go again? What we notice about Peter is that Peter grieved in the heart of community. So he went outside and he wept bitterly. When we have failed, it is all right to to grieve deeply. It's all right to be hugely upset and to feel that something's gone wrong. We have to sit in that moment. We have to remember that moment. We have to go there and process what is it that's happened? How did I get here? What is it that happened? Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say about this? That is a really important process of getting over things. But the other thing that we notice about Peter is that he did not isolate himself. What is the thing that we most want to do when we fail? We want to hide We want to isolate ourselves. We want to run away. We want to hide under the bed. We want to not wake up. That's what failure feels like. What is it that we need to do? We need to push into completely the opposite thing. And this is what we see Peter doing. He actually pushes into the arms of his community. If you were to put it another way, the 12 disciples, his small group, he pushes into the heart of these 12. That's where we find Peter That's where we find him just before Pentecost, is that he's sitting together with the others. He has not isolated himself. He hasn't run away. He has pushed in, in the grief, in the pain. He's pushed into community. That is so important. What we, so many of us would want to do, particularly within our culture, is in the moment of our greatest need, when we feel the greatest failure, we withdraw. 
My encouragement is you have to do exactly the opposite. You have to push in. You've got to talk to other people. You've got to get people around you to pray. Do you not think there were moments where Peter was like, oh, I've, I've so messed up. And the other guys would have got around him and then be like, look, Peter, we're in this together. We're part of this community. This is what it looks like. And that's what community does. That's what family looks like. If, you, if you're struggling with that, something that I find really helpful is just praying through Psalm 51. Just the most beautiful psalm. It's this psalm of David when he's messed up with Bathsheba. He's had this affair and he's been confronted. And it's just this beautiful psalm. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And it goes on and it's just this psalm of, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I want to be closer to you. Lord, would you change me? Would you redeem me? Would you restore me? Would you put me back into right relationship with you? It's amazing. So what happens when we're down? What happens when we find ourselves in the pit? That's when God comes in and rebuilds us, if we will let him. And there's this profound and tender example that we see in John 21 that I just want to finish with you. This is a couple of weeks after the resurrection. We're going to be starting in verse 1. It says this. This is so profound. I really hope that you might go away, actually, this week. Some of you read the Bible regularly and you've got Bible reading plans. That's brilliant. For others, you're like, where do I start? Do you know what? Start with John 21. Why don't you go away and just sit on this passage this week and be like, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me through this passage? Be a really good starting point. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. Peter has not recovered from what's happened to him. What is it that he does in this moment? He thinks, I am going to go back to what I used to do. We have to remember, Peter used to be a professional fisherman. So in this moment, he's like, I'm going back to fishing. I've obviously failed at this. What am I going to do? I'm going to fish. At least I can do out. So firstly, I'm going out to fish. Who's with me? He turns around to the other guys. Who's with me? Who's going to come with me? And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. So you have to picture the scene. They were already feeling like failures. It's like the one thing that we thought that we could do was fish. The one thing that we have caught nothing of is fish. We are utterly useless. We are absolute failures. It must have been the lowest moment. Can you imagine fishing for the whole night and not even catching one fish? As a professional fisherman. That is what failure feels like in that moment. It's like, I can't even do anything. There's nothing that I can do. Another failure. Early in the morning, Jesus, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> I think it's a joke. It's like, guys, have you not caught anything? Jesus is not going easy on them at this point. He's still a bit mad, I think. Uh, no. They answered, can you imagine what the no would have been like? I can't, I'm not, anyway, you think about that. He said, you can think about that this week. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Well done, John. I love the fact John always says, and the disciple that Jesus loved. By the way, that was me. Um, sorry, not me, John. Um, 
Do you know what? Do you know what we learn from this moment is that God can do more in a moment than in years of our own planning. Jesus said, he's like, put the nets out again. Put them on the other side. They put the nets out and there's this extraordinary, this miraculous catch of fish. And Jesus is just saying, do you know what? If you listen to me, that is heavenly wisdom that I want to impart. You have been scrabbling like a gerbil in one of those wheels. Like You're going for it. You're planning. You're doing all of this. And Jesus says, do you know what? In one moment, I can speak into your life and it can utterly change your life. All you need to do is you need to listen to me. Put the nets on the other side. And then it's amazing because it goes on in the passage to say, and they caught 153 fish. It's a lot of fish. I love the fact that it says 153 fish. It's just interesting. Bit of detail. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. For he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter's at it again. He's going into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He's cooking them breakfast. Now, you have to remember that Jesus has been utterly rejected by all of his closest friends. He's been disowned. He's been rejected. How does Jesus respond? He cooks them breakfast on the beach. Isn't that a beautiful example of our Savior? Isn't that a beautiful example of somebody that's worth following? Some of you right here are in the process and in the midst of feeling rejected and betrayed by somebody. Looking at Jesus, it's like, how does he respond? He responded by cooking his disciples' breakfast on the beach. It's just amazing. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's something really important in verse 9, I think. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on. Do you know why I think it's important? Because what Jesus is doing is he's taking Peter and he's saying, I want you to remember the point of your greatest rejection of me. It was by a fire. And he's brought Peter back to a fire. In that moment, there's a symbolic thing going on. He brings Peter back. And when they would finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Jesus is giving a very pointed reminder of the content of the betrayal. When Peter said, everyone else will fall away. I love you more than everyone else. I love you more than these. And Jesus is going back there. He's going back. And then instead of just asking him once, he asks him three times. It's like, Simon, you, you failed me. And Peter says, I know. Simon, you failed me. Peter says, I know. Simon, you failed me. And so he recounts the three form, threefold form, the content and the set, setting. And do you know what? You might think that's a bit harsh. You'd be like, oh, why is, Jesus, why is Jesus doing that? Because that's sometimes the process that we have to go back into. We have to go back there. 
You failed me. And Peter, instead of making excuses, says, I know. I know that I failed you. I know that I messed up, but I love you. I love you, Lord. I want a deep friendship. And then what does Jesus do? This is the moment where Jesus utterly restores him and reinstates Peter. And he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He was a bit hacked off by this point. He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said, you failed me. And Peter says, I know. And Jesus says, okay, now you take charge. You're a leader. You're going to take over. This is the reinstatement moment. This is, Jesus never leaves us in that place of failure. There are seven disciples and Peter is the most broken. He is the one who was the most out of touch with who he was. He was the one who most needed to keep up his image. His failure was the greatest. And yet Jesus says, of the seven of you, you are going to lead my church. Failure doesn't define us. How we respond to failure is what defines us. How we respond when it goes wrong. How we respond when our expectations are not met. How is it that we respond in that place? And I can just imagine this encounter on, on the beach between Jesus and Peter. And it would have been so profound, wouldn't it? It would be, you know, looking at Jesus. He's like, do you love me? And Peter's just looking back. He's like, Lord, you know that I love you. It's just this reconnection moment. It's just beautiful. Throughout the scriptures, we have example of, an example of the men and women who fail. And the story of Peter is one of overcoming failure. Do you know what? There's this beautiful part, just in finishing, Matthew 16, verse 18, and it says this. And I tell that you, this is actually before Peter's ended up messing up. But I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter rebounds. He gets off the canvas. He lets Jesus pick him up off the floor because it's Jesus that picks him up off the floor. And he says, I've got work for you to do. I've got something. You have got purpose. You are not done yet. Peter is not defined by his failure. He looks into the eyes of Jesus and he admits his failure three times. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And I believe that he would absolutely say the same to us. Each one of us, there are going to be times when we mess up. There are going to be times when we fail gloriously. But do you know what? God so often uses the areas of our greatest failure for our ministry. It's often the areas where we have most failed that the Lord uses us. Because he wants to redeem everything. He wants to redeem everything that's gone wrong. And he wants to use it for his glory. Because it's, the purpose is it's about his glory. And so you might have come in today and you're like, I am feeling utterly beaten up. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm an absolute failure. And I would want to say to you right now that that is absolute rubbish. It's a lie. And it needs to be broken off of you because Jesus would look at you and he would say, I absolutely love you. I absolutely love you and I've got work for you to do and I've got things and I've got purposes for your life. Come and be with me.
and I will bring you back into life, life that is abundant and full. So why don't you stand?